local business owners. We are excited to be here today with you. I am Danielle Harris, uh, head of marketing at Bank of Central Florida. And today we are here with General Beef and General Jake. And they are going to share a lot of their experience, uh, both recently in the military, specifically the Air Force. And do you mind sharing a little bit about your background? Do you want to start, General Sure. Jake? Danielle, and thanks to you and Austin for setting this up. But um, I grew up in Florida and uh, attended Winter Haven High School, graduated in 1977, and went off to the Air Force Academy uh, where I met my good friend Beef here. And uh, in 1981, graduated and started a long career in the Air Force, uh, 34 years and retiring in 2015 wow. uh, after I was the commander of 9th Air Force in uh, headquartered in South Carolina. Uh, I flew a lot of airplanes while I was in the Air Force, uh, but primarily the F-16 and the U-2, which is a high altitude spy plane, what most people know it by. And I had commands all over uh, the world, truly from Korea to Afghanistan to um, the United Arab Emirates and, and all over the United States. And we'll go into some of that in my uh, recap, but had that and then retired 2015 and came right back to Polk County and uh, now live in Winter Haven, uh, where my wife and I grew up. Yeah, one of those planes was the F-18, right? Well, I flew in a lot of airplanes okay. and I flew the F-18 a number of times. Okay that we can go into, but I was never the pilot in command of an F-18. Ah, okay, okay. And that is the plane that was most recently in Top Gun. That's correct. And I've dogfighted okay. with the F-18 and pilots flying the F-18 dozens of times, and I won every time. <laughs> it's important that you won. <laughs> so is that, is it, does it look and feel the same way as it seems like in the movie? It does. Uh, I think the movie, <laughs> the second Top Gun movie was excellent. And I still remember my catapults off of the US, USS Eisenhower in the Gulf of Oman. They'll never go away from my memory. That is truly a, wow. uh, a bucket list kind that's of thing cool. is to catapult off of an aircraft carrier. Yeah, that's I, it amazes me just seeing that big of a machine in the air and taking off like that. <laughs> anyway, how about you? Did you well, do the same thing? Danielle, thanks again for having me. And yeah. uh, did I do the same thing? Not quite. I went a different track and I was a C-130 pilot. I like okay. to be able to get up out of the seat, go to the back and use the restroom rather than having to pee in my leg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, my background is, my name's Richard Haddad. Uh, I go by Beef, and I'll get to that in a second. Awesome. But I grew up in this small copper mining town in Arizona and had the opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy to play football. And I graduated from high school in 76, a year before Jake, okay. because I wasn't smart enough to get in the academy. My SAT scores weren't good enough, but I was kind of being recruited for football. And they have a prep school, which is there for enlisted members that are now going to the academy or for blue chip athletes. So I went a year to the prep school, which is on the same grounds as the academy, and then graduated with Jake in 1981 mm -hmm. and went off to pilot training uh, and flew C-130s after pilot training. But while I was at the prep school, mm -hmm. I was much bigger. I had more hair. 
gravity hadn't set in. <laughs> my feet were a little smaller, and I acquired this nickname Beef, which has lasted lasted my entire 35-year career. And then I got off active duty and went to the reserve mm-hmm. as a citizen airman, and I was able to join. I was able to get hired by the airline as well, and have the best of both worlds for over 30 years. Awesome. And but the last nine years, I was on active duty. I I took a leave of absence from the airline and then went back in 2017 after I retired from the Air Force Mm -hmm. and then flew for the airlines for another few years and decided to take an early out there as well when the coronavirus popped up. So that's uh, quick and dirty. Um, I flew flew primarily special ops C-130s, an AC-130, which is the gunship, and then the MC-130, which is a penetrating tanker which goes on behind enemy lines and refuels helicopters so nothing as exciting cool. as top gun but it was uh it was pretty interesting <laughs> but danielle uh beef is one of the more decorated and i mean decorated with awards and medals yeah. of all of our general officers recently with three distinguished flying crosses with valor it it's cool. to get one is incredible to have three is an amazing uh, accomplishment and and wow. we we are sitting with a true american hero beef a dad well awesome. i would say that we're sitting with two because <laughs> jake has flown i mean here's a general officer and now we're the good we're uh you know the mutual admiration society but jake flew as a general officer the u2 in combat that's unheard of too to have a general officer flying in that kind of a weapon system as a uh yeah. as a general though so. well regardless i think i and our listeners would very much be able to say thank you for your service and contribution to our military Thanks. much appreciate i wanted i didn't say that in the beginning but should have so i did that last time too didn't i um but thank you very much so all right so that's that's the beginning. So you both have served quite a few years in the military, which we'll talk a little bit about that through some of the questions. But you then got back into civilian life and you started Two Blue Aces, correct? Right. And, and Two Blue Aces is a consulting company here in Central Florida. And um, the name my son, Eric, helped us devise that and aces in um, air force terminology are pilots who have scored five aerial victories in combat and incidentally there hasn't been an ace in the united states military navy air force Hmm. in decades i think the last one was in vietnam steve ritchie an air force academy graduate but we all hold them in high accord um, and so two blue aces is actually uh, the where that came from. Beef and I are Air Force Blue. My wife is actually the managing partner of the company. So she's the first ace and then I'm the second. But when we're in groups like this, Beef and I are the two blue aces. Ah, you switch off, huh? That's right. Stick as a team. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for explaining that. Uh, we are going to start with... General Beef, can you explain the big differences? So a little bit of background here, too. You spent quite a bit of time in the reserves uh, and you were second in command over the Air Force reserves. That's that was my last job as the 
vice commander of the Air Force Reserve Command. Okay. So, yeah. Um, There are three components in the Air Force. There's the active duty with 300 and some thousand members. Okay. There's the guard with 105,000. And there's a reserve with 70,000. The guard works for the governor. Most of in their day-to-day job, they work for the governor. And then if they're needed federally, mm-hmm. then they get uh, put on orders to work federal positions and jobs. Okay. With the reserve, we're federally mandated, but we're all, the guard and the reserve are all citizen airmen. So as the taxpayer, you only pay us when we're working. So we're the best bang for the buck because we have to maintain all the same qualifications that the mm-hmm. active duty does, but we do it on a part-time basis. Interesting. And we have we're, we have to do one weekend a month and two weeks a year is what's required. But really, to maintain all those qualifications, you have to volunteer a heck of a lot more to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So they take uh, we we have this thing called a three-legged stool, and. What that means is a reservist is having to balance his primary job. I was an airline pilot, his reserve job, and then you've got family in there. And the joke is, if you've got them all mad at you at the same time, you're probably doing pretty well. (laughs) But it isn't isn't easy. I mean, it takes a lot for an individual to have to do all that. And some folks, their reserve unit will be miles and miles away the leader might have to fly to their organization they might have a long drive uh so it, it takes a lot of uh, sacrifice to be able to serve our country as citizen citizen airmen but the bottom line is we're all needed so when we go to war the active duty just doesn't have enough people and structure to maintain all those requirements then that are being asked of them so they rely on the guard and reserve to fill those fill those gaps mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. I, if you don't know a ton about the military, I mean, I didn't have a ton of people in my family as part of the military. My great grandfather was a pilot in the World War II, but as far as that goes, I haven't had a whole lot. So, um, did for I our get it right, Jay? I think perfect. All right. Yep. Yeah, it's well explained. Thank you. <laughs> it was good. It was good. So, um, and incidentally. When he, Jake started two Blue Aces, mm-hmm. he started it out with his brother, who's a reserve two-star general, mm. and two of his best buddies who are active duty generals and brothers as well. So there were mm. two sets of brothers and then yours truly. I was the odd man of the group. And, and you're and like the a only, brother. And the only, non, <laughs> the only non-fighter pilot. So I don't know why they let me into the family, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to be a part of uh, two Blue Aces post-retirement and having something to do like this rather than uh, twiddling my thumbs at home now that I'm retired from all these jobs. Yeah, it's really, really cool. How, when you decided to start Two Blue Aces, you had retired. How long was that link between retiring and then deciding to start the company? It was about six months, and that was the time where my wife, Sandra, was trying to get me to go do something mm-hmm. instead of just being in the house all the time. We, driving we me took, crazy, We huh? took six months off. We exercised a lot, and we rode up and down the, the beach and, and biked and, and walked and exercised. But it, it was either going to be work for a big defense prime like Lockheed Martin mm-hmm. or Boeing or mm-hmm. somebody like that, or 
start a business where we could, as a very small, agile company, provide advice and mm-hmm. and consulting uh, to to small, agile companies that wanted yeah. to learn how to work with the Pentagon and work with the government. And mm-hmm. and we do a lot of that still today. Yeah. So and and that's more of a niche rather than just any companies, though you serve any companies with consulting, there is somewhat of a niche when you're working with vendors or businesses who want to work particularly with the Pentagon, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly, Danielle. The, the, we we currently work for two very large American defense companies as consultants to them as mm-hmm. to what the roadmap is for the U.S. military mm-hmm. and how they can uh, continue to anticipate things. But we also work for smaller, much smaller companies, paving companies. We work for a number of and advise the president and uh, provost of uh, multiple universities mm-hmm. here in Florida on mm-hmm. where technology is going from a military perspective. So we have a wide swath of client list. Yeah. Um, and it, we're always looking to talk to new clients about working in the high-tech defense and aerospace industry. Okay, uh, next question. This goes back to General Beef. What was your most challenging obstacle when you shifted from the military into the consulting business? Um, I, I would tell your listeners, there really is, wasn't a big transition. Leadership is leadership, regardless of whether you're in the civilian world or in the military. So it was the same values and lessons that I learned from my military experience that helps translate into a civilian kind of a structure. There's, it, it's the same issues, the same concerns, the same deals. You're still, you're still dealing with people. You're dealing with organizational mm-hmm. structures. You're dealing with succession plans. You're dealing with budgets. You're dealing with human resources, all the same things that you do in the civilian world. So I, I didn't find it to be that much of a transition. Yeah. Not to mention, I grew up, as I said, in that small copper mining town and my dad was an entrepreneur. So I kind of grew up in the business world before I went off to the academy and the military. So what did he do as an entrepreneur? We owned a clothing store. He owned a beauty shop. We owned a saloon. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of a, it was a small little town. And uh, so I had the experience of working in the clothing store from the time I was about 10 years old. Uh, The bar, I wasn't old enough, but I did a lot of the inventory and. that sort of thing. And Fine. it was kind of funny. Uh, he had some managers there and I would go in there and just kind of goof around and I'd see that they might be doing something inappropriate. And I was about 16 or 17 at the time. And I'd tell them, you know, you need to close the cash register. Or you need to do this or that. And then my father would come over and they'd ask him, who's in charge, you or your son? <laughs> he said, well, when he's there, he is. And when I'm here, I am. So Oh, I had a lot fun. of great experience in the business world before I went off to the academy. Some of that inventory might have gone away when you were 16, 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe an extra beer we're not talking about that here. <laughs> I was about to say, at 16 or 17-year-old, I'm sure you, you were up to something oh, here and there. Oh, not me. I was a good boy. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, General Jake. Can you explain what you mean when you use the expression, your audio has to match your video? Yeah, Danielle, we, we talked about that a week or two ago briefly. And, and I, I love the phrase because in many of my leadership opportunities in the military, I would hear what a, 
uh, say a squadron commander's um, uh, core values were, the things that she emphasized to her people. And I would then say, I'll check mm-hmm. and see whether the audio and the video match. And, and you can rapidly and quickly find out with in an organization if what the leadership says is what actually the workers and the managers do. And it's important, I think, for a leader of any company to to make sure that what they say is important mm-hmm. actually turns out to be important in their actions and how they uh, handle themselves and how they do business with other business leaders. Um, honesty is the easiest way to look at it. If honesty is one of your core values, Mm -hmm. are you known in the community as a business person with honesty and integrity? Mm -hmm. And that audio matching your video is what I really emphasize when when we talk to small businesses as they set their core values up. And and it's a fun way to approach it. And it's not always a negative. It's sometimes really refining it, isn't it? It, You Mm -hmm. refine your core values and then your people reflect them. Yeah, I I love in marketing, clarity is kindness is a big phrase. So sticking to making sure people are clear on what you're expecting or what you're trying to communicate is really important. Yeah. And and, uh, honestly, if there is a disconnect Mm -hmm. and you are out and about, uh, you know, before I would visit our organizations all the time and the disconnects were really quickly apparent. And 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 really? when they were not so good, we would fix them quickly. Yeah. Because a uh, audio disconnect with your video, what your organization is truly doing every day, you know, it needs to be fixed. And yeah. So we would help with that when we needed to. Yeah. I, and- I would tell your sorry to interrupt. Oh no, I, go ahead. I would tell your listeners that my uh, thoughts on that. I called it leadership by walking around, and um, I tended to get out of my office and go roam without them knowing that I was showing up and mm-hmm. I'd sit down in different divisions and sit down with the folks that work there, either the civilians or the military or both. And you could get a really good understanding of what was going on in the organization. Yeah. And one more buzzword for your listeners that maybe they might use, but what beef is talking about is analog leadership. I, I mean, analog leadership, it's out and about, it's talking face to face, either to your potential customers or to your workers. But digital leadership in today's world often ends up being emails and yes. phone calls and yes. Zoom meetings because they're done over the virtual mm-hmm. uh, uh, virtual sphere. And uh, we found in all our experience that analog leadership out and about mm-hmm. is the way to really, truly improve press your people about your core values. Yeah, I, absolutely. We we are very much experiencing the same thing as we grow. How do we keep our culture? How do we keep our core values instilled within our people? And being able to have conversations outside of email, picking up the phone, calling somebody and asking them the question with the right tone and them understanding more of the context of where you're coming from. Uh, makes a really big difference or even seeing body language like you said going and walking over to the next person's office rather than doing a zoom meeting from home it it's still a really important piece of working together and communicating it makes a big difference danielle yeah i I give this presentation on on relationships which i think you're going to get to in a bit but um I spoke to some Johnson and Johnson salespeople recently, mm-hmm. 
and my neighbor gave me this excellent example of what Jake's talking about. Hmm. When he first started as a young radiologist, they worked in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. They had these huge screens with these x-rays that they would put up on these screens. And the doctor, who might be the orthopedic surgeon or whatever, and some of the folks that worked within that construct would all stand around those slides and they would look at what was going on. And the radiologist would ask the doc, the orthopedic surgeon questions, let's say. Yeah. The orthopedic surgeon was that, would ask the radiologist questions. And there was a um, learning kind of going on both yeah. directions. Today, mm -hmm. he works in his home and he, and he does all these x-rays on his home screens. He writes this report yeah. and never do the two really talk to each other unless wow. it's some situation where they may reach out to the radiologist about something. But normally it's not that way, yeah. the way it was under that analog kind of construct. Wow, it, what a great example. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, there's a, a loss of learning that could be seen with only sticking to digital avenues. Uh, General Beef. What values do you believe the military instills that are applicable in any operation or business that is ran? Well, as I said, that's ah, pretty easy. I, I grew, as I said, I grew up mm -hmm. uh, in the business world and, you know, relationships were important, obviously, mm -hmm. respect, responsibility, all those things were, were core growing up. But then I joined the Air Force and yeah. the Air Force has three core values that everyone understands and it's integrity service before self and excellence and all we do and you should be able to and and those core values are values that you would have within your organizations in the civilian sector so yeah. it's nothing new to somebody that's should be building their business from the ground up having some sort of values the marines have a different set but essentially the same mm -hmm. the army duty honor country which you've heard of mm -hmm. so they all have these core values and you should be able to go to the lowest ranking person or the highest ranking person mm -hmm. and they should be able to articulate those values yeah and you said excellence in all you do integrity what was it integrity and service and service service before self Service Excellence in all you do and integrity in and integrity. any one of those directions. Yeah, I, I didn't quite catch that third one. So yeah. self-service before service, self. Service before self. self. And, and, integrity. and again, in the military, that one is so important because there's a lot of sacrifice that goes on, yeah. you know, in families for long uh, deployments and everything. Mm -hmm. So we would emphasize how important it was for uh, the individual military members to realize that they were part of the military team. And they were going to sacrifice a lot. They were going to make, yeah. you know, family uh, sacrifice. They were going to personally have to live in d difficult conditions, et cetera. And so that one's one that, you know, that's very particular mm -hmm. to the military that you're in the service and it's before your needs, you're going to meet the needs of others. Yeah. You had mentioned how important your wife was as a military wife supporting you in everything that you did. And then on top of saying that she was one of the reasons six months after you retired to say, hey, Blue Aces Consulting, yeah. why don't we do something that's 
along that route. Yeah, my wife, Sandra, is a very educated, very talented, very professional woman, but she put her career on hold uh, as a result of me and us being assigned all over the world. She really had to put her career on, on hold. But again, now in, in the business world where we are today, she's very, very capable as the managing partner of the company. Uh, mm. Beef's wife, Ginger, is a wonderful lady. She sacrificed a lot, but she's an attorney. She's a very, yeah. very highly skilled. So you'll find that many spouses in the military are actually extremely qualified. Mm. They just sacrifice for yeah. the good of the nation by moving around and, and, and putting up with some of the turbulence that's in the military. Oh, absolutely. Especially with long leaves, yeah. I can imagine. Um, and the benefit of my wife is she was in the Air Force for 25 years, both reserve and active, so as a JAG, so she understood hmm. the military and understood what I was doing, so that was really she, nice. Did she travel with you quite often? Uh, she went to Korea with me when I was in Korea, and hmm. we were stationed in Japan together. Hmm. That's where we met, so hmm. yeah, she did. Uh, she went to Washington, D.C. when I was at the Pentagon, and then hmm. we were in Georgia for a while, so she moved around. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. When when they yeah. were initially married, Danielle, yeah. they spent their honeymoon in my <laughs> son's rooms in the bunk bed because of uh, something that didn't turn out right on their honeymoon planning. But uh, we've so known crazy. Beef and Ginger for a long time. And, wow. and honeymoon planning is not what yeah, Mexico didn't work out for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We ended up in Las Vegas thinking we were going to, during the holidays, Thinking, yeah, we'll go to Las Vegas and find a room. There were no rooms to be had. Oh, no. Oh, and no. that's how he ended up there. That's oh, right. My, I was about to say, why don't you get a hotel room? That's <laughs> 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 your honeymoon. There was so. nothing to be had. I'm just saying. Man, yeah. Yeah. I do have to ask an important question. So your wife's name is Ginger. Does she have red hair? No. What? She's a, she's a Virginia. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for explaining that and then making sure you pointed that out about their honeymoon. I appreciate that. Um, there was a second half to that question, General Beef. Oh, and wait. But I'm a beef and she's a ginger. It's easy to remember. <laughs> it's a very good Chinese dish. So it's hard to forget. Uh, now I think I'm hungry. <laughs> General Beef and ginger. Um, I love it. So the second half of that question was, what is leadership's responsibility when ensuring the culture of a company reflects the values that are established? Lead by example. You, the example, the core values that are out there, you, you set those core values and you need to live by them. Mm -hmm. You start taking shortcuts or, or trying to um, do things in a manner that aren't of the utmost integrity mm -hmm. and then you start having problems because your people are watching you yeah and they're expecting you to set the example yeah Jay, it, go ahead. It, it's a it's another example of your audio doesn't match your video and yeah. when a leader of an organization says here are our core values here's what i do here's how i handle myself in business dealings mm -hmm. But then on the side, they're not very honest. You can't really take them for their word. Their audio doesn't match their video. I, I mean, they really are not very yeah. 
they're they're not qualified to lead any organization when they say one thing and do another. And and yeah. it's important to do that. And as senior leaders, Beef and I have had to replace a number of people who thought they could operate that way. Interesting. And, and for their boss to permit that would be unacceptable at an even higher level. So we mm. were, you know, our role in the military as general officers was to make sure those conditions didn't exist in our organizations. Right. Because you, I think I had remembered you saying, I mean, you had to be efficient and you had to train the best yeah. and there wasn't, there's not room for right. failure. Yeah. If because it failure. would really degrade the organization's effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Because like Beef said, you're always being watched when you're the leader. Yeah. People who work for you watch and see how you operate. Yeah. And if it's not good, then it really takes away from the effectiveness of the organization. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, leading by example, going back to it and business owners, it's not as sacrificial probably as <laughs> being deployed and having to be separated from your family from time to time. Um, but there's still that life balance, like you had mentioned earlier about having to balance three different areas of your life always. And if if it's all bad, it's probably something's going right. <laughs> That's a joke. I know. <laughs> You're supposed to try to keep that thing, try to keep that stool balanced. I know. But that's something that entrepreneurs and business owners face quite a bit because when they're starting or when they're in that stage of growth, they're handling multiple aspects and they're having many hats to wear. So trying to figure out how to lead by example at home and in the business and in the relationships that you're developing to grow your business. It, it, that's how I would say, going back to the question, you keep it as established as much as you can sure. by living by those values. Yeah, and for your listeners, as you think about how startups work and they really establish whether it's services or products that they're delivering, mm -hmm. there are no days in the week. You know, every day is a work yeah. day and, and evenings are work days. Um, but as you get more established and your goals are being met and your revenue and profits are where relatively where they are, then how do you establish a balance, not mm -hmm. only in your own life, mm -hmm. but to permit your workers yeah. to not always having to work overtime and on weekends and everything. And I think as, as small business leaders, you, you really need to say we're at that point now where we really should have mm -hmm. some balance in our lives, mm -hmm. put our families back on a, uh, an important uh, point. And then you as the leader have got to do that. You you can't mm -hmm. be in the office all the time, sending out emails at nine o'clock at night and expecting people to answer you. Right. Yeah. There's a balance required and you're the leader. Set it. Yeah. And and do you believe that rest is I mean, we hear so much about work life balance and mental health these days. Um, do you believe that rest is a very big piece in better productivity? I do completely. And and. My wife and my, my sons, but also my executive assistant, when I wasn't getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. they would tell me, hey, you need to, yeah. <laughs> you need to go home early and reset because you're not being that effective because mm -hmm. you're so tired looking. And again, you know, beef knows. No, you're right. You're not good if you're sick or yeah. you're yeah. not feeling well or you're, you're out really, of shape or yeah. you have medical problems. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to find that time to. Keep yourself. And it's important, too, as a leader of a company, mm -hmm. you know, is to take care of yourself. Or and, if you're flying a plane. Well, definitely right? if you're flying a plane. <laughs> you, really, you really need to get your rest the night before because, you know, it, 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 yeah. can, it can be 
it can ma- it can matter if things go wrong. Yeah. I mean, you are still what is it g- pulling G's like you're if you're under that kind of pressure. <laughs> well, that's why I, I'll make a point later ask. on that the military is a young man, young woman's uh, organization. profession, organization. Uh-huh. It's a very physical, physically demanding, usually a uh, job. And for me in the in the F-16, when I was flying, I flew it all the way to the end of my career and I was in my 50s. Mm-hmm. So trying to handle the younger generation in the dogfights mm-hmm. that I was in, if I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, I was going to lose in that dogfight. Yeah. So <laughs> they it, were going to challenge you. Huh? They were definitely <laughs> wanting some of the old man and they were going to get them if I was not if I was not rested. Yeah. Did you tell them you were keeping them young? Somehow? I was. And I, I, I used my... Uh, my experiences and my cunning more than I did my physical capability because I was old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it sounds like it was a lot of fun. They oh, keep yeah. you on your toes, too. Uh, okay, General Jake, you said that you spent more time in the military influencing others to not pull their gun out of their holster. In this case, are there any key ideas you would focus on when sharing with our listeners on how to negotiate with tough clients, board members, or partner situations. Yeah, Danielle, I, it's a real uh, solid topic uh, is to, to how to, in your organization, how to build tactical patience, how mm, to strategically yeah. think your way through, you know, not today's meeting, but the long-term mm-hmm. goals that you've set with maybe partnering in an effort with another company doing things. But we learned in the military, and I taught the younger uh, officers and uh, non-commissioned officers that they needed to be careful before they pulled a trigger. Mm. And whether that was because of the law of armed conflict or proportionality, as we called it, you wouldn't drop a nuke on your enemy if you didn't need to. Well, you wouldn't even shoot a gun at your enemy if it wasn't the right time. Yeah. How does that work its way into business? You really, as a business leader, and you're in a meeting or you're in a new situation, you need to listen more than you talk so that you can kind of get a feel for what's going on, how the market is working, who are the leaders in the industry and the who, why are they the leaders in the industry? And before you decide to open a new branch or before you decide to hire a new sales team when you already have three, Mm -hmm. you need to kind of do your homework. Yeah. And if you do your homework before you pull the trigger, a lot of times you don't do what you were thinking you were going to do. Right. Yeah. You wait for another year to open a new branch or to bring on a new product. And Mm -hmm. so we would teach that in the military, but Beef and I both know how important that is, you know, mm-hmm. for business leaders. It really is. Absolutely. And a uh, couple examples. Jake, uh, as the president of our academy class, we were out there a while back and we're, he was presenting this new class project. And there's a couple classmates that were just irate. Mm-hmm. And, but they were really kind of out of line. And Jake just stood up there and listened and took it all in. And they just made a very calming, um, re- response to the the feedback that he was getting, which was just awesome. And then another example, Jake came out from Ninth Air Force when he was the commander of Ninth, and I was the vice commander of the reserve. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talked about the three components. Mm-hmm. Even though we're all Air Force, there is some competition. Uh, 
The bottom mm -hmm. line, though, is we work for the active duty. And a lot of times the active duty general officers would maybe not take as much time as they needed to uh, to understand the Guard and Reserve. Well, because of our relationship, Jake came to Warner Robins and sat down in our com my conference room with my general officers that were there that day. Mm -hmm. And we had a great discussion. It was, but Jake sat yeah. there instead of just articulating his position and this mm -hmm. is the way it is. He listened to what all these guys had to say. And it was a great, a great uh, couple hours of being able to have this dialogue with this mm -hmm. head guy who was in charge of Ninth Air Force, which was one of the bigger, you know, numbered air forces in our Air Force. So yeah. that's, I think that's the point he's trying to make is listen before you engage yeah, and, and, and understand. In, incidentally, and Beef knows this, but <laughs> the colonels who worked for me were advising me that I should pull out my gun and shoot at, pull the trigger on some things that they said were not right mm. with respect to the reservists right. down in Beef's command. And I thought about it for a while. I actually thought about sending an email and saying, Beef, this is not going right. This is not the way it should be. Yeah. But I, you know, I just kind of felt the need to hear what they had to say mm -hmm. before I said anything negative. Mm -hmm. And when I went down there and talked to them and I heard what was going on and what their circumstances were, I realized mm -hmm. that they were right. Yeah. And we were wrong. We shouldn't have pulled a trigger and said, you guys are not doing your job right. Yeah. And that's how it's tactical patience. You have to really make sure you look at both sides of the equation mm -hmm. or hear both sides of the argument before mm -hmm. you actually make a move or do something. Yeah, it seems with the speed of technology and social media over the last 10 to 15 years, things were very quick. You see a comment and it could be taken out of context. And it's almost relearning that seeking understanding and listening is really important. Yeah, because you can get it wrong mm -hmm. real mm -hmm. fast. Yes. And and then it takes a long time to clean up the mess you made by mm -hmm. being wrong mm -hmm. if you pulled the trigger too fast. So, I mean, you you spent quite a bit of time, both of you, right, spent quite a bit of time overseas and during the war. I mean, speaking with other ambassadors or, or representatives of those countries. Yeah, we had to um, be patient with our allies. Yeah. And it's really not an easy one to go through. It takes a little bit of time to develop, but both Beef and I were stationed in other countries where oftentimes mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. were on other people's base. Yeah. The airfield that we were operating out of was in Iraq or it was in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And there were governors who said, this is my turn. Right. Yeah. So we as the U.S., but we as U.S., general officers we had to make sure that we were not coming across as overbearing mm -hmm. and telling people what to do in their country yeah. so it took a lot of practice to to really get yeah. what we needed and do what we needed to do mm -hmm. but not necessarily sound like we were giving you know the governor of the province or wherever in afghanistan mm -hmm. an order cuz they didn't work for us yeah yeah, it's it's almost the fine line of humble confidence. You got to be confident, stand your ground, right? But still navigate the conversation sure. of what you've been sent to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to make sure your people do the same. I mean, mm -hmm. um, 
respect. Yeah, you have to respect their culture. And, yeah. and the way they do things may not be the same way we do things. Yeah. And for us to try to shove it the American way down their throat was not always the right solution either. So it was a, yeah. it was a fine balance. And you had some American airmen that just didn't get the, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't understand that I need to really sit here and understand them. It was, you're doing it my way. And yeah. you had to sit and, call, and kind of counsel and say, look, you need to go sit down and have a cup of tea and coffee with these people because that's what they do. They want to be able to know you before mm -hmm. they're ready to conduct business with you. Yeah, I think there's a book. It's either called Two Cups of Tea or Three Cups of Tea or something. But if you mm -hmm. had a really important issue mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle East and you needed to work it out, it was going to take three cups of tea, i.e. three oh, meetings, wow. to actually get your what you needed. Yeah. And you needed to be patient. Because yeah. the first cup of tea was simply to, you know, the hello. This is me and nice to meet yeah. you. Yeah. Second cup of tea is, okay, here's what we need. The mm. third cup of tea showed that you were really willing to go the extra mile, mm. but now we need you to sign this yep. agreement. We need fuel and yeah. we need it now. And the difference wow. in this country into the business world mm -hmm. is we want to conduct business right now. We're ready to start. There yeah. is no there is no interlude to try to talk about families or right. you know this or that and to get to know you. We want to conduct business. That's mm -hmm. the, that's, it's all about dollars. Well, yeah. over there, it's about learning whether they can trust you or not. So for your listeners, if they're going to deal with people from other countries or cultures, yeah. there's another book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake. What, Kiss, Bow, or Shake? Yeah. Well, you shake hands, so trying you trying to figure out what's appropriate. You bow, you know, there's, yeah. so understanding their culture. Yeah. An example, if you're in the Middle East, and I cross my legs and point my heel at you. Mm -hmm. That's rude. Really? Yes. Wow. So you have to know those little things. I was in a meeting one day and a colonel did exactly that. Yeah. And the conversation kind of stopped with the Iraqi that was sitting in the seat. Oh, and wow. I'm thinking that guy didn't read the book. Okay. Uh, General B, for local business owners and leaders, relationships are important when growing your business, which we've talked a little bit about that, especially keeping long-term development in your mind. In your efforts in Iraq, what were some key takeaways that you can share from your experience that assisted in building trust in Americans? Well, Danielle, I had understood relationships from the time I was growing up with my father, who Mm -hmm. was in the small town and had these relationships. So I understood relationships. Mm -hmm. I understood them at the academy, friends, developing friends with Jake and a lot of other folks and playing on the football team. So I really had never put a mantra on it until I got to Iraq. And I was there to help stand up the first Air Force base. Mm. And um, Goodness. there was a lack of resources. I was a senior advisor. I wasn't a commander. So everything had to be work yeah you know from a negotiating or relationship perspective not necessarily i'm in charge and this is the way mm -hmm. it was going to be mm -hmm. so i had to find ways to help them out and to do the things that we needed to do to get this base up and running um wow we were able to get a bunch of furniture one day and some stuff and uh brought it to them and they were amazed 
that we got all this stuff for them. I think it was Saddam. It was Saddam's furniture, furniture, wasn't it? And they were amazed because was it really? Yeah, we got it from the State Department annex. It was getting rid of their furniture, and because the relationships I had developed with these folks, I asked them if I could have it. They said yes. (laughs) Brought it to our base, unloaded it, and these people had this really eerie. I mean, it was like an odd look on their faces. Well, I came out to come to find out later on as I'm talking to the general on the base, and I was a colonel at the time, and he's thanking me profusely for what we have done for oh. them to get this base up and running. Hmm. <clears throat> but he then proceeds to, I, I think I asked, <laughs> why would everybody look odd when we brought all this furniture? He says, because <laughs> that was Saddam's furniture. Oh, and my goodness. So, but what he also told me that night was, you know, what you have done, we're, we can't thank you enough. Yeah. And you realize that it's all about relationships. Yeah. And I put a mantra on relationships at that point. And mm. from that point on, throughout the rest of my career in the Air Force, I yeah. talked about relationships. Yeah. You can be the smartest person in the room with all your staff and you can get things done, mm-hmm. but you take it to, you raise the bar when I get to know you as an individual and, yeah. and what makes you tick and what makes you not tick Mm -hmm. and having that relationship with the people in your immediate circle make things that much better and uh and and i i believe it's relationships not only with family and friends and colleagues and superiors and subordinates but it's with joint partners and people from other countries that we had to contend with so all those things are so important and they were important then in the military construct but they're just as important in the civilian world and, yeah. and building a business. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, seeking, seeking understanding and relationships with um, future businesses you work with or even clients these days. I mean, listening to the client, there's jobs out there all about the client and customer satisfaction. You see surveys all the time and seeking understanding of what they are, how, we, how you can serve them is a huge benefit to any company who wants to grow, especially these days with competition. Well, thank you very much again for being a part of this. We really appreciate it. And um, hopefully we can come have you guys come back maybe in a year or two. Love to. We'll, ever, love to. we'll see. But I'd right. um, love that. So thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, All Austin. All right. Thank you for listening.